Welcome to American Moments. I'm Adam. And this is Matt. And this is the podcast where we delve into different times in American history that have been relevant or you know unique or culture changing. And we're today we are going to kick off our podcast by well, let's just address the elephant in the room. We're taking a Japanese product and calling it an American moment. That's right. Is there anything in Trump's America that makes more sense than doing that? <laughs> I agree. So to avoid the hate mail, we are acknowledging that the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is a subject to today's show, was a Japanese product. And we're going to look into the societal impacts and the, the video game history of the Nintendo Entertainment System. Amen. Yeah. Do you want to go in a little bit, bit of a background of what the Nintendo Entertainment System was? Sure. Because I'm imagining there's a lot of millennials who are just kind of scratching their heads right now. Like, what, what was this? You know that could be that could be true. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so the Nintendo Entertainment System was it, and still is the best-selling game console of all time. You know, if you're end of Gen X, beginning of millennial, you absolutely know what it, know what it is. If you grew up in the eighty, the mid '80s at all, you probably spent many afternoons playing this game. It's it was basically the first entertainment system that that took over America. I mean, in the in the course of five years. They went from nobody knowing what a Nintendo Entertainment System is to 30% of all households in America having one. It turned us into zombies, basically. It absolutely yeah, did. exactly. Yes, I, I blame it for obesity in youths. Anyway, so to, to kind of set the stage of the Nintendo Entertainment System, you kind of have to understand the, the state of gaming in the early 80s. Video games, if you think back to Pong, for those of us who knows what, know what Pong was, that it, it was very very not pixelated not very great graphically just dots and bouncing balls and things like that the predominant video game system was something called the VCS or commonly known as the Atari 2600 oh yeah that was actually rolled out in 1977 and it was basically the the market leader and there there was for a long time the Atari Corporation had a monopoly on all the games that went on the Atari 2600. There was an, a, not a lot of competition until 1979 when Mattel rolled out their Intellivision, which basically looked like, you know, what, is, what do you call the thing when the defibrillator, when you try to bring someone, so it had two yeah. paddles basically. It looked right. like a defibrillation machine where basically, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, there was a dial and whatnot, and I just try to imagine that going on today. But for for all intents and purposes, Atari was just running away with it. ColecoVision rolled out in 1982, which we'll get to into a, in a, into a minute. But this was until 1979. Today, you know, you have Rockstar, you have all these Ubisoft, all these all these games. The most annoying part of of all those games is when you beat it, they don't let you play it again until what happens? The credits. So oh, yeah. you, you learn all these uh, oh, yeah. all these people's names, which is awesome because you know, and all, all, all joking aside, these people put a lot of work <laughs> in, but there's no recognition. So Atari started out as a really cool place to work, 
they be, kind of became real big jerks. And uh, in 1979... They the money. Yeah, they wanted the money. And they paid these guys... At the time, it wasn't terrible, uh, you know, a terrible yeah. salary, but it was... These guys would make about 20 grand a year, the developers. And then the games would come out and make millions and millions and millions. And they wanted to be paid like artists, which was kind of a stupid thing for Atari because mm-hmm. now, you know, at Ubisoft and, you know, all these other companies have teams of developers, so there's groupthink. You lose a guy, that's not a big deal. When E.T. came out, that was written by one guy. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine that? I mean, like Assassin's Creed or something being written by one guy? Yeah. So developers had a fair amount of leverage, and Atari didn't realize that, so they basically went in there and said, hey, we want to be paid royalties, we want to be treated like artists, we want some, some credit for these games, and they told them to pound sand. And... At this point, like I said... Well, they owned them. Yeah, they owned yeah. it. I mean, they, they, it was hubris. I mean, absolute hubris. Good word. Yeah. And so they decided, four of these guys, um, went in October of 1979 and started Activision, which may sound familiar because it still exists today. And that was the first third-party software developer. So, and what I mean by that is... Yeah, you know, they, they set up a company that um, would create the games and then they would work with the Atari system but they weren't part of the Atari group. Yeah. So the idea was that they would make some money on on these games that they created. Yeah, well, and that, would, that became the issue because what did, what did Atari do? They, did they say, okay, that's great, we'll, let's work, work out a licensing agreement. Oh, absolutely. No, of course not. What they did was they sued. And, uh, by <laughs> the American not, way. Yes, America, another American. American moment. So these guys uh, sue Activision and because what well, Activision has the games, but they don't have the console. But in 1982, the ruling uh, you know was made against Atari, and Activision was allowed to create games. So you have a situation where Atari is, says good riddance. I mean, even after they lost the lawsuit, they're kind of like, well, we 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 own the consoles, and right. we're just gonna we're gonna make great content anyway. And kind of a yeah. funny fact. Yeah, you know, what's really funny about Atari is they had some great people that worked for them. Um, I, we were just scrolling through some things, some history here, and saw that Steve Wozniak actually was one of the developers, and I think the primary developer, designer on Breakout, the game on Atari. It's just amazing. These guys had such a great culture for a while. Apparently it was like, just, like, they'd yeah. have booze parties, and like, it was like watching Entourage until they became, <laughs> like, they became corporate and Warner Bottom, Yeah. You know? Anyway, these guys are, are are off, and what they decide to do, I mean, they become this this corporate entity, and they decide to start just buying the rights to a lot of recognizable titles in order to sell. And the biggest one they did, and we need to kind of go into some myths of the crash, right? They're, one of the biggest myths you look into it is... E.T. and Pac-Man killed Yeah, you always hear about E.T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. E.T., let's just be honest. It was a terrible game. Horrible. I mean, what, what did I say? It was like, it's like watching a drunk Dyson running around. Yeah, it's and, crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it's terrible. But it wasn't, it doesn't deserve the accolades it gets for being the worst game in the, in the world. It actually sold pretty well, but it actually, it, it helped kill the industry. The successful games are what actually helped kill the industry. For reasons we'll get to in a minute, Pac-Man is also <laughs> lauded as one of the reasons. And this is actually I, I almost rolled with this, but it, looking into it, a lot of the reputation it gets is because a lot of the guys who became 
gamer aficionados in the late 90s who were running emulators, yeah. which are, an emulator is, is basically software that allows you to mimic a previous system. So if you have a Windows 95 machine and you want to pretend like you're running a Commodore 64 or Nintendo mm-hmm. Entertainment System, you download the software and that's called an emulator. But apparently the the Atari 2600 was so craptacular, they had to do, they, there was some technical glitch where it could only have two moving lines at the same time. So back in the day, and I remember about this when I was a kid, I didn't think Pac-Man was that bad. Did you, did you have it? I didn't, but you know, I thought it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it, yeah. it, so all these gaming aficionados in the late 90s basically tried to run these emulators, and it, it was all glitchy, and the ghosts were showing up in different areas, and it was, it was bad, but, uh, but back then on the actual 2600, it ran fine. And it was actually a really successful game. You know, Adam, just a side note on Pac-Man, and a good life lesson for those of us that are married. You know, Pac-Man was okay, but, you know, you turn it over to the ladies, and Miss Pac-Man definitely took the cake. That that was a great pivot. Let's just put a bow on her head, and we'll make another $5 million. Exactly. Yeah. Done. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can't get away with that these days. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so, pa- so Pac-Man was... Was great, but it actually did contribute to the actual crash because the way the retail arrangements worked back then was, if you made two and a half million dollars worth of cartridges, retailers would overbuy. So there was all this hype about Pac-Man being released. Mm-hmm. So all these retailers, and it wasn't like GameStop, it wasn't like all these video game stores you look you look for today. Right. You buy them at like what were the old ones like Made and F and like mm-hmm. Sears and I mean yeah. we're going back I oh, just yeah. dated myself I don't remember even going to Toys R Us yeah like, exactly yeah. I mean Toys R Us was like, like was after the fact but I mean there's mail order catalogs things like that mm-hmm. so these retailers would overbuy and today if there's merchandise on the shelf the retailer eats it back then if it doesn't sell Atari eats it so Pac-Man came out it was pretty successful and they, they had to take back a million dollars worth of cartridges and the same thing happened with E.T. I mean, E.T. was not really... Well, it was developed in, what, five weeks? Yeah, it was developed in five weeks. They're like, great, we, we spent $25 million working with Spielberg to get the rights. And they call this guy, and they're, and they're like, can you do this in five weeks? And, and the interview with him was pretty funny. He's like, I can do it, but just because we can doesn't mean we should. So it was like late July they, they acquired the rights to it. This guy, all, all fairness to him, he probably did the best he could in five weeks to get it out for the holiday season. But... Anyway, it was not received very well. Part of the problem with it was you actually had to read the directions. I mean, the one thing I hate about video games is the ones where you actually have to learn right. how to play it. You know, so <laughs> ET was in. the first example where you couldn't just start playing it. And oh man, it was so confusing. Yeah, and it was it was pretty bad. Let's call yeah, it. Yeah, I just remember walking around yeah. in a circle as ET and dying over and over. Pit. Yeah, I mean, like falling into the pits, and then yeah. ET would you'd stretch out his neck, and then you'd fall right back in, and then you'd throw your controller at the it's console. Brutal. But I mean, really, it was it was a good example of what a role playing game was like with the twenty six hundred. Yeah. So it just really wasn't a great console for that. It was. But anyway, this all leads to another reason why it's a myth is because the real start to it was in December seventh, nineteen eighty two, that the Atari releases its guidance for shareholders, which was a fifteen percent profit. Mm-hmm. Well, sounds great, right? Yeah. Well, they had forecast previously fifty percent. Yeah, 50%. That's like a 35% downtake. The stock crashes. There was IPOs for other third-party developers that were canceled because of this. Yep. And the gaming industry kind of just goes, starts going downhill a little bit there. 
And then after that, you add the retail glut, is what it's called, with all these being released and, and mm. them having to take a hit, taking all those cartridges back. And the fact that they they did have a second console in the in the hopper, the fifty two hundred, but that really wasn't out in time. There wasn't really a third generation console. Mm-hmm. ColecoVision came out in nineteen eighty two, and if they hadn't completely screwed the pooch by pivoting and bringing out this product, which is kind of a a PC gaming platform called Coleco Atom. Mm-hmm. I know, terrible. Adam is a terrible product name. <laughs> There's your problem um, right there. Yeah, exactly. So the, basically that thing just destroyed Coleco. ColecoVision was actually a pretty good console. But you have all these things with no mm-hmm. viable third generation console out there. And a lot of these games that were kind of underperforming. Yeah. And it's a recipe for disaster. To add to that, Adam, a lot of... You talked about a glut of games out there mm-hmm. at the time. You know, another thing that really contributed to this is... There, it was, there was a market for it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And... The way these companies would market their games, they would basically overpromise what the game would do. You know, they'd show mm-hmm. graphics that didn't actually come from the game. They'd have ads and even commercials that really misrepresented the game. So people would get the games, they'd get home, and instead of like, you know, an awesome ET on on the screen, you had a pixelated blob of brown. Well, let's be honest. When you plug ET in, it was a nice picture, and then there was music. Well, that was it. Right. And, and then then all the music and the nice pictures went away, and then you had the the. Dyson running exactly. around falling into pits. It was absolutely crazy. And then you you have the issue where Atari's not making any money on these third party developers. Mm-hmm. And you went from a nine you went from I think it was two billion in sales down to a hundred million in sales. Yeah. The ninety seven percent crash. That's insane. It's absolutely insane. But think about it. I mean, there's no reason Atari's not making any money on these. So, you know, Pitfall, that was one of my favorite games. Right. They didn't make a nickel on that. Yeah, it was an Activision title. Absolutely. So you're in this market. The, they're behind the, the third generation console. I think uh, Coleco could have run away with it if they just focused on their on their console business. There was a, a little bit of a renaissance in the PC market right now. So the Commodore 64 was it was we make fun of it now, you yeah. know, But but it's one of the most successful PCs of all time. I mean, yeah. we're in the world of Carmen San Diego stuff like that. But but it's more expensive. It's not accessible to everybody, right? So the uh, a video game console right. could be like 130 bucks. Uh, PC is a lot more expensive than that. So gaming wasn't really necessarily accessible to the masses at, at that point. Mm-hmm. So you had the the Atari 2600. People are playing these old cartridges in kind of a Atari just could not have messed up more. Nintendo actually came to them in the midst of this and offered to give them the rights to distribute the Nintendo Entertainment System. They were like, no, no way. Yeah, we're, forget we're, that. We got this. Yeah. Again, it's hubris. It sounds like any other industry we know about. And we Americans are really good at saying, uh, we got this. Your better product, no one's going to buy it. Yeah. So anyway, that's the state of gaming and going into 1985. Yeah. So one of the things you talked about, Adam, is... Atari really shot itself in the foot. Yeah. You know, even these games that are known as as the reason for the gaming crash, they sold a lot of units. There was definitely a need and a desire for video games. Mm-hmm. So, in comes a company named Nintendo. Nintendo at the time was not an electronic company. They actually were a company started in the 40s. They created these things called Hanafuda cards, which are almost what? like it's a Japanese type of decorative card. I think they play a game with it, to be honest. Anyway, the Nintendo's president at the time, Hiroshi Yamauchi, Yamachi, 
dead on pronunciation, ahead, I'm sure. Yeah, comments on yeah, how yeah. much I... To say it again. Yeah. Hiroshi Yamachi. Okay, all right, that sounds good. We'll call him H-Y for now. All right, okay. H-Y. All right. H-Y saw an opportunity here, not only in the U.S., but also in Japan. Japan was known for efficient electronic production in the early 80s, so they, they pivoted. They decided they would get into the, the video game realm. And so they developed an initial video game system called the AVS, Advanced Video System. It was a 16-bit computer almost, kind of, kind of like a Texas instrument. I don't know if you remember those, mm-hmm. but it had a keyboard and joysticks, and it had floppy disks for the games. And they started to develop it, and HY decided that didn't make sense. They saw what was happening and had happened with Atari, so they switched gears. They simplified the system, so they went from a 16-bit to an 8-bit system. They renamed the system. Well, before they renamed it, they simplified it. So they wanted it to be more like a game instead of a computer. So they removed the keyboard. They removed the joysticks. They wanted, they took out the, the floppy disks and switched to more of a cartridge type of game. And that not only made it feel more like a toy, but it also was helpful in not, not scaring away people who were afraid of technology. So in 1983, they released what they called the Famicom in Japan. And the Famicom is the Nintendo Entertainment System. That sounds like something you don't want to catch. I know, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I think my daughter had it yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't RSV. Antibiotic took care of it. Um, but the Famicom stood for the family computer. Mm-hmm. And it was the Nintendo Entertainment System in Japan. Now, it took off. In two years, it had a 20% in yeah, Japan. Okay. Yeah. So in 1985, they relabeled it the Nintendo Entertainment System. Again, not calling it a video system. Not calling the game the video games videos but actually calling them games so again turning it into a toy and released it right before christmas of 1985 so i think it's important to go back for for some context of where we were in the united states as it related to products from japan i mean there was still back then there was this very go back to hubris you know yeah. mostly jokingly before but our cars chevy the right. video games were not the only industry that were getting our butts kicked by Japan absolutely because we just we didn't need to make anything better people were just going to keep buying Chevys and Fords and the Japanese really and there was still a little bit of hangover from World War II and yep. for the older generations and they wanted to buy American I mean we were used to and take it for granted our global economy today mm-hmm. but it was not that way back then so for them not to come enough. into the United States I mean you think about how hard it was for Honda and Toyota to come in okay so a lot of people buy Toyotas now don't even think about it right but back then there was really a big stigma about buy American buy American and it wasn't so much it, I feel like the video game industry was a little bit more advanced and a little bit more I guess yeah open to, to that kind of technology because the Japanese were, were very much more advanced in that area as well right but there's a little bit of that as well so you you have you have stories about the Japanese executives going to consumer shows and mm-hmm. trying to pitch the Nintendo entertainment system and they get told to, to pound sand there was a a big subset of people in the gaming industry who thought that the video games like the pitfalls and the river runs and all that it was over. People didn't want just a fun game anymore. It had to be like a role-playing experience or something that people would learn about. So yep. that's where I think the feedback you're talking about that Nintendo took back to the... Completely. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and that's how they rolled it back out. Yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned it, and you know, I don't want to go into it too much, but they could develop these systems quicker and cheaper 
you know, and more efficiently. So their margin for profit was higher. Mm-hmm. You know, they were expensive systems, right? They were $150 in 1985, so that's like $400. Mm-hmm. But compared to other systems, that was cheap. And they could roll it out, and their games were approachable. I mean, you could plug it in and not have to read any instructions, just play. Yeah, Mario mm-hmm. Brothers, you have two buttons. and Yeah. Uh, but I think the way that they rolled, uh, the, the way they addressed the market was really smart. They called uh, the Atari developers, they called the, these games developers shovelware because they just yep. shovel you know, crap games out and there was no limit to it. Nintendo had some sort of quality control over it because they put a, like a governor chip yep. on, in, in the actual cartridges themselves. So if you wanted to, do, to develop a game for Nintendo, you were limited to five games a year. Yeah. And it had to have this chip in it which gave Nintendo some quality control and or profit. A, yeah. It was a closed system. It allowed Nintendo to control what was associated with the Nintendo system. And it also allowed them to make some money on all these games by licensing it out and giving them that chip. Mm-hmm. So it was a Christmas in 1985? It was, yep. Yeah, yeah it came out and, and, and as I mentioned before, it sold, I'll have to find the number. A lot? A gazillion? Yeah, a lot of a money. A lot, yeah. It made a lot of money. It made a lot of money. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, I'm old. I was, I think, eight when that came out, and I remember my cousins got it at Christmas, and I literally didn't talk to anybody the whole Christmas season. I would just wait for my five minutes to play and then watch all my other cousins play for an hour and a half. I mean, it just, it took hold. I, I'm trying to put my finger on what was so captivating about It was Mario approachable, Brothers. I think. Yeah, it was the same deal for me. My, I didn't even have any family members who had it, right? Yeah. So we had ColecoVision. It wasn't like I was a kid from East Germany who went to West Germany and saw a video game for the first time. I had had the 2600. I'd played E.T. You know, but I think, right. I feel like all those games were just kind of, I don't know, the, the graphics were bad and, and it, uh, it, you know, there wasn't a lot of great music or anything like that. But when I saw Mario Brothers for the, for the first time, I remember I was at a friend's house. Yeah. At, I, was, I think I was seven. I went over there and the kid's like, hey, have you played this before? And I just sat down and I didn't play with him for the rest of the day. And I just played and uh, played Super Mario I over and over. I, I, took, I hijacked amazing. his console from him, basically. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I used to go out and play. Mm-hmm. And then Nintendo came and then I just went home and sat. Yeah, exactly. It was a game changer. Come to think about it, I feel like I would have accomplished a lot more in life. Right. You know, had it not been for Nintendo. Uh, another side note, just, just an observation. You know, we talked about this American moment being from a Japanese gaming company. Yeah. With the most popular characters and the most popular game being Italian Brothers. I would have loved to have been in that meeting where they're like, I know. Yeah. E- EY. It's like, what we're going to do is... We're oh, H-Y. Oh, H-Y. 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 Yeah, I'm sorry. Not Ernst and Young. H-Y. You want me to say it again? Hiroshi yes. Yamochi. Okay, I'm not going to... I know. What we're going to do is we're, we're not going to do Captain America. We're going to have Mario and Luigi. And it, and it worked. Right. And I mean, we still, we still have it today. Totally. It, it was... The game was just clean. It was... And then Duck Hunt. Everyone's focus is on yeah. Mario Brothers. How pissed off were you when that dog taunted you for missing the ducks? I know. Yeah. Now, that's the most American game there, though. Yeah, very much so. Yep. I mean, hunting. So, those were the two games that were included yep. when you bought the console. It was, it was Mario Brothers. I don't know if it was the same yeah. way in Japan, but that, at least in the U.S., it was Mario Brothers yeah. and Duck Hunt. It came on one cartridge. Yep. Yeah. A dual cartridge. They had different packages. It varied. I mean, you could buy an, another thing, which we haven't talked on yet, is the Rob, which is a robot. Yeah, what was that all It was about? a little robot, probably two feet tall, sat next to you when you played your game. So it was like a friend, and 
it was programmed. Was it spying on you? It feels kind of nefarious. I, I didn't have a Rob. Did you have a Rob? I didn't have a Rob. No. Who did you know anyone who had a Rob? Um, no. I actually because you know, they're all gone. It was a conspiracy. Anyone absolutely. who had a Rob must have been kidnapped and, <laughs> and taken somewhere. No, in all seriousness, yeah. what was it? It was it was literally a a little two foot robot that would beep and chirp and light up based on the game you're playing. It wasn't really interacting. But it gave you the sense as a kid that you were playing with a robot, that you had a friend there playing your game with you. Again, it goes back to the way they marketed it. It's a toy. It's a game. It's not a video game. It's an, a little, a literal toy. It was your buddy. Yeah. They didn't realize that they were basically going to not have any friends anymore. So this, yeah. this, so this is your friend. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it goes back to their marketing, right? They are marketing this as a, a toy, a game, and this robot is your friend that you're sitting and playing the game with. Which is ironic because maybe they pictured it that way, but we would we would sit around with with me and my friends. And yeah. Once we finally were allowed to get one, and we would watch each other play. So it wasn't completely antisocial, right? But yeah. So it, it came it, it came with the rob, or did the rob come separately? You could buy it. Didn't in the standard pack? It did not. The standard pack, as you mentioned, had the console, the two controllers, Duck Hunt, Mario Brothers, and the uh, gun. Which was called the NES Zapper, by the way. Yeah, you can't call it a gun. Right? You know, I plugged mine in. I haven't my Nintendo still. I plugged it in oh, last yeah. year, and the Zapper doesn't work on a flat screen TV. It's really disappointing. Well, you know, it's, you you can also just buy the latest version of you know the latest shooting game and you know, yeah. But but you can but you can buy if you have a Wii U, which I don't recommend anybody buy because that's the worst console decision I've ever made. Because <laughs> I have two kids, but if you can actually buy all the old game on the new consoles, and it's amazing how more powerful the machines are now than, than they <laughs> were back then. Yeah. You know, those are the two games that it came with, and then they, they kept releasing titles. As I alluded to earlier, if you were going to develop games, you were limited to five a year, so you had to have, you couldn't just push stuff out. You had to really put your best foot forward. What were some of the, the most popular titles? So, got this running list here. Uh, we talked about Super Mario Brothers. That one was included in the base package, so that was probably the best-selling one. The best-selling, we'll get into some others, but can you guess what the best-selling Nintendo, not just base Nintendo, game ever was? I'm going to say Metroid or something like that? Uh, no. Metroid's a good guess, but no, it was actually Super Mario Bros. 3. Oh, I believe that. 18 million units. Wow. Yeah. They wow. made... They made five hundred million on just that game alone. Well, so in nineteen nineteen eighty nine. Well, and, and you think about it, games cost as much then as they do today. Uh-huh. So it wasn't like the games were twenty bucks. When we went and bought Super Mario three, it was like fifty bucks. Right. So you're, what you spent for yeah, a game back true. then is what you're spending now, pretty yeah. much. It was worth it to see yeah. Princess float, though. Yeah, and and you know to fight on a pirate ship that floats in the air. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you really put a price on that? But that game, I felt like was a game changer because there was an interactive map. Yeah. that you were able to to hop into different worlds. And yeah, things like that. Where Mario Brothers Two, I thought I felt it was awesome because you could have you had four different characters you could go with, but it was it was linear, right? So yeah. you know, for those of us who don't know what a sandbox game is. It wasn't really a sandbox game, but it was kind of an evolution in that direction with Super Mario Bros. 3, where you could yeah. pick the direction you want, you wanted to go. Exactly. You know, you could break a rock and go that direction, or you could... Yeah, it almost opened it into like a that. 3D world. Mentioning Super Mario Bros. 3, I just wanted to say, and we'll get back to the other popular games, but this year on my Apple phone, 
there was a new game that came out called Mario Run. Oh, God. So Mario's still alive. And within Mario Run, you can select one of four characters. Mario, Luigi, Princess, and Yoshi. You can pick Princess because she floats, just like she did in Mario Brothers 3. And you go through different worlds. And those worlds consist of sand and floating Viking ships. It's it's basically like a flashback to Super Mario Brothers 3. I was afraid you were going to say they were they released Super Mario 3 on the iPhone, and I was worried that my productivity was going to be <laughs> dive. Well, don't yeah. download Mario. Yeah, yeah. All right. so Because it's just like it. Oh, great. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, anyway, some of these other games. One of the popular ones was Contra. I don't know if you remember that up, one. Up, down, up, down. Yeah, yeah. Up, so, up, down, yeah, down. Yeah. Left, right, left, right. BA start. Yeah. Unlimited lives. So the, is that an Easter egg? Kind of? It is, yeah, okay. one of the yeah, first. Yeah, so for, for those who don't know what an Easter egg is, it could be in a movie, it could be in... It's mm. an artistic kind of backdoor or kind of an artistic signature that's in a game. You know, so it, it could be something visual in a movie. But in the, in the case of Contra, if you knew this code, and I don't know how they got the code out or who figured this out. Yeah. That's not something you figure out by yeah, accident. How, how did we yeah. figure that out? Like, I, it's not like there was the internet back then. How did everybody know that code? Well, the sixth version of the Britannica Encyclopedia that you bought every year probably had it. But anyway, so at at the when the Contra screen came up, you there was a twenty six chain code that you implemented. You know, up down up down left right start blah blah blah, and you got like unlimited lives or something like that. Yeah, Contra was a great game, and it was unique too because instead of going horizontally, 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 yeah, it is now, yeah. Yeah. Once it's on a podcast, it's a work, officially. <laughs> one other one worth noting is The Legend of Zelda. So that was a very popular game, and it was one of the first games where you could save your progress. So, you know, a lot of the Nintendo games before that, you would play, and you'd get three lives, and if you died, you died, and you're done, and you started over. With The Legend of Zelda, you could actually save your spot, turn off the console, come back, and pick up where you left off. Now, a lot of Nintendo lore is focused around Mario and Luigi, but mm-hmm. I feel like there is a, a cult following of Zelda. Absolutely. And rightfully so. Because it I was feel the like gold cartridge. It, 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 exactly. I forgot about that. It was the gold <laughs> cartridge. Yep. I mean, that was the one you actually... You could toss the other ones around, but you always... You took care of the gold cartridge. Right. It was... There was a bunch of different worlds. That was very very much a sandbox type of game, where it was a role-playing game. Yep. And, and again, you kind of contrast it to E.T., where... E.T. was kind of a role-playing game, but it was just on a console that couldn't hack it, right? Yep. The Legend of Zelda was thoughtfully developed, and now there's, what, 20 different Zelda games that have been released, and it, it, yeah. is, it is Nintendo lore, and it probably is. Link is one of the most popular figures in, in uh, Nintendo history. Yep. Amen. Man, I forgot to spend a lot of time on that. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Lots, lots of afternoons. Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Yep, that was a great one too. Man, that one came yeah. out a little bit later in the life cycle. Eighty nine, I think, was it? I or, think so. Yeah, some, yeah, but it was. I mean, it was huge. The thing with Nintendo is a lot of their games. While you may be killing things, there's not blood. Mm-hmm. You know, and the things you're killing are bad creatures, right? Mike so Tyson was game. really one of the first yeah. violent games that Nintendo. You know, violence against another human, even though it's boxing. You're seeing them hit. You're seeing teeth come out, and it was popular. I it mean, was it was popular. popular. Well, yeah, you were Mac, right? And you were like, you know, one eighth of an inch high, and you were right. you were facing off against Soda Popensky. And, yeah, uh, what were some of the other guys? It, yeah, there's that that bull guy. But I mean, the the characters were hysterical. You had the the French guy who stereotypically unfairly French guy who was 
who you hit him once and he fell over and he never got back up. Did, were you ever able to beat Mike Tyson? No, I don't think I even ever got to Mike Tyson. I got to him once and he would blink and then he'd hit you and it was over. Glass Joe though. Glass Joe. Yeah, Shit. you hit him and yeah, he was he was done. Pizza uh, pasta. The Italian the Italian box. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kinda yeah. looked like Mario a little yeah. bit. Soto Popensky was my favorite though. Yeah. He <laughs> was just this big knucklehead. Tecmo Bowl was Yeah, that's that's the other one I was gonna yeah. mention. I mean Tecmo Bowl was really a pretty simple game. If you wanted to win that game, you had to get Bo Jackson. Absolutely. Bo Jackson was better than anybody else in that game. And it was a simple game, but it led it led to a whole genre. I mean, John Madden, right? Do you know there's a lot of people who probably don't know who Bo Jackson was? It's funny. Yeah, so he was... It's sad. He played so baseball and football professionally. Right. Well, at the same time. He did. Until he got injured, and he was done. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he was... But you could not win a Tecmo Bowl unless you had Bo Jackson. That's right. What made Tecmo Bowl also interesting was it was the first game that actually had real athletes' names in the game. Yep. So it was... That's true. I mean, the NFL can probably thank their popularity from Tecmo Bowl. Yeah. Tecmo Bowl is probably more entertaining, though, than the NFL. <laughs> in some ways. Depending. Less concussions. Yeah. Less concussions. Yeah. What, what are some of the other ones? Uh? You know, another one, and I don't know if you played this one, but Top Gun... Yes, that oh, was man, a great that, one. That was a, that was a good game. Yeah, yeah. That one had a great in- intro. You know, it, while it was loading, you heard the and then you'd be flying a, pl- a plane. Was that an attempt at a Top Gun uh, theme song? That was the Top okay. Gun theme. All right, all right. Cool. You listen, you listen uh, back right. to that. Yeah, well, I can't wait. You're gonna like it. Yeah, no, that that was that was good. Top Gun Two was was good as well. Although I like Top Gun One better, but it was that yeah. was it. Kind of felt like you were really a fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Did you ever play Silent Service? Uh huh. It was a submarine game. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, for a dork like me, it was it was heaven, right? Yeah. I'm surprised it did so well because it was kind of complex. Yeah. I mean, it took me a while to learn how to play it. Like my dad actually. Did your dad ever do the thing where he was like, oh, I'm going to buy you a video game, and, and you can't see me right now, but I'm doing the air quotes? <laughs> I remember what, it all started back with the Atari. My dad's yeah. like, oh, yeah, well, let's get this Atari for Adam, and, uh, and we're going to get Missile Command. I'm like, dad, what the heck is Missile Command? And I was fighting my dad for the console half the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. right? Yeah, you can buy that. We yeah. should let the kid yeah. have that. I think. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's for the kids. Yes. Not for me, honey. Exactly. And then my dad would be up at five in the morning playing before work. You know, another great one is Excite Bike. Do you remember that one? Oh my! Excite Bike was great fantastic. Loved it. Yep. Loved it. The, yeah, those are some of the most successful ones. And then it's funny. There's a there's a retro throwback movement around the yeah. Nintendo Entertainment System now, where they actually rolled out the. Is there actually a, a system that looks like it, but it includes all the games? Yes, actually. Yeah. I forget what they call it, but this last Christmas, they they rolled out a new version of it that uh, looks like an, a classic Nintendo Entertainment System. It's just a little bit smaller, and it has 64 of the games already built into it. That terrifies me. I know. That, that absolutely terrifies I, me. I got those, one of those. I don't, I, I don't I, think I, I'd speak to that, my wife. That would, that would be a divorce level event, yeah, I think. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I would be... Uh, that would yeah. be a productivity killer. Yeah, I would totally... That being, why don't you get it, and I'll come <laughs> and play at your house, and, you know, then I'll, and I'll leave. I'll be justifying why I, my wife doesn't need help with our one-year-old, right? Yeah, yeah. You're you're perfect time for you to buy totally. one of those. This console shaped a lot more of America than we really think, you know, because, because like I said, Coleco, I, I'd play it, like I'd go play Mousetrap, but I, I'd be, right. I, 
I'd get bored with it really quick. The Nintendo platform sucked you in. And it in, did. And the way well, you interact with it. It did. And, yeah. I mean, it changed who we are. Like, we're, we are a generation that enjoys games, enjoys video mm-hmm. games. I mean, Nintendo changed the game, right? You would wait for the next Nintendo system to come out. Six years after Nintendo, they released Super Nintendo. Yeah. Same thing all over again. You know, everybody had a Super Nintendo. That led to other things. Sega and the Sega Genesis. Well, Sega Genesis was the first one that really that really gave it a run for its money. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, it was a war. It was yeah. like the Cola Wars, yeah. but it was the video game wars. Sonic versus fattening. Mario. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You know, Game Boy that changed everything. That's true. That's a whole. That, that's a whole nother. Yeah. You know. I mean, you see our smartphones. Yeah. You know, who doesn't have a game on their phone, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing, Nintendo. I felt like. What else are you going to do on the toilet? Uh, exactly. Yep. Besides, drop your phone in it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Yeah. Too soon. Uh, anyway, the the last thing we can touch on with this is Nintendo did a great job of creating a culture around gaming too. Did you, did you ever get Nintendo Power, the magazine? Yeah. I. I'm yeah, so ashamed I used to make that. Yeah. yeah, it made it approachable. Yeah, you know? it made it very approachable. So you'd get a game, and there would be games that are a little bit more complicated, but you'd have this magazine, kind of a self-reference guide, and you'd have the gamer of the month. And they also had—I don't know if they had these conventions before. They may have. I know they had the consumer consumer electronics show and stuff yeah. like that. You know, back in the days of Atari, but they really kind of had gaming battles. Like mm-hmm. they'd, they'd have gaming events. So I, I really just look at it as. Not just a, a great gaming platform, but also a fantastic cultural wrapping around of it. Ra- wrapping around of it. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Period. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. and I mean, it just expanded the universe of gaming. Yeah. And, you know, now it's part of normal society for a an, a grown person to be playing a game, you know, to be gaming. It, it's not shameful anymore. I that, mean, it's still a little shameful. It's right? a little shameful, but it's it's a little bit less But it's shameful. acceptable. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, dad doesn't have to go hide in the... Uh, you can play video games openly in front of people yep. and not be mocked openly for it. You know, in, in that whole gamification, if you work in any sort of professional office, you've heard that term in the last 10 years, gamification. You know, all these companies are looking at ways to gamify things. See, because I think you just made that up. I'm not. No? I'm not. Okay. Seriously. I've, not, I've never once said gamification in my office. Maybe, so, maybe I'm look just it a up, dinosaur. Man. Look uh, it uh, up. Maybe I'm going to, and you're going to be right. It's a way to increase productivity by creating a game out of things. Okay. Which encourages people in our generation to work more. If you turn it into Makes a game. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. And I think that this game, I think the Nintendo Entertainment System cr- turned us all into gamers. And so it's a way of trying to tap into that to make yourself productive yeah. while also enjoying yourself. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So that is our first episode, the Nintendo yeah. Entertainment System. We hope you liked today's episode. If you do like us, please go to iTunes or Google Play and give us a five-star rating. Again, if, if you don't like us, please don't give us a rating. And uh, you know, <laughs> but, but do keep listening. We'll be back next month, and thanks for listening. And if you wanna if you wanna buy yourself a Nintendo, you can go out and buy one today and play all these games we talked about. Or you might have to pull the dusty one out of your closet, your mom's closet. <laughs> is that is that a thing? Mom's closet. I'm not gonna touch that. With my mom. <laughs> <laughs>